in his new book, Hood Economics, Jack Manning Bancroft, founder and CEO of Amy Mentorship Program, builds a value system revolution that centers a relational economy, offering urgent and transformative solutions to embrace indigenous thinking and ideas from outside the margins and pushing the focus from capitalism to relationships, from the people in suits to the people in hoodies. And I'm glad to say Jack Manning Bancroft has just joined us on NITV Radio to explore his groundbreaking book. Jack, welcome to NITV Radio. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. In your new book, Hood Economics, you pull apart what people in suits might think of as economics, and I'll just quote a line from uh, the introduction. We have the potential to create a new old foundation of equality, relational economies, instead of transactional ones and networks that are truly social. I believe this line actually sets the premise uh, of uh, the thinking uh, in, in underlined in uh, hood economics. Yeah, I think you know for a very long time as a species we've been in quite healthy relation uh, with the earth and you know our we've got the longest lab in in human history here on on this part of the rock um, in Australia and and I think we've you know, the more you dig into our systems, you kind of can see this very intelligent, positive feedback loops, strong systems designs, and most importantly, sort of understanding where human beings fit in the map of everything. And there's not going to be many arguments that stack up um, that can say that we're in healthy relation at the moment. You know, we're using 1.7 times the amount of, or we need 1.7 Earths to cover what we're taking in terms of the resources at the moment. And we're just out of balance and I think that part of it which excites me and I suppose gives me hope every day to get up every day is that I don't think as a species we're fundamentally evil. I definitely don't think we um, we, we get out of bed and we're like, okay, I want to work out how to destroy Earth or you know consume twice the amount of Earth that's needed. But I think our networks are out of relation and, and when we're looking at a bottle that we drink something from or the computer that we utilize or the shoes that we wear, um, all the things that we consume. And we're just told the story of some fancy person that's connected to that and we're not actually connected to the reality of that journey. Then there's all these threads that start to unfurl in a way that um, that throw us out of relation. So I hope that we can find our way back into a healthier relational context where nature is centered and um, and we can find that joy in relating to each other as a species and not just being divided into our our small secular camps that reaffirm what we know and who we know. Yeah, and uh, this book is uh, informed by uh, your charity, Amy, and uh, this charity, the way you describe in the book how you actually build value without uh, necessarily bringing in uh, financial transactions, this was the foundation of your charity, and uh, you also use a hoodie as a symbol of uh, value creation. Uh, explain to us how the hoodie informs uh, your economic thinking. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, to sort of like zoom out, I think we get pretty intimidated by um, like words like economics. And, you know, I remember watching a big short about 10 years ago or 15 years ago and just going, whoa, okay, there's all these things in these financial systems which we're we've become afraid of the vocabulary and so I was looking at, you know, we've been doing AIM for 20 years now and about just as the pandemic happened, I'm like, 
man, I've got to understand how economic systems work because I think I understand story. I think I understand some of the challenges around what we've inherited, but how does how do we actually what is economics and how does it work? And the more I kind of looked into it, like it's just where we place our attention and, and what we value and a and a coin or a, a point of exchange. Like it's been an ox in different economies at different stages. It's been um, a variety of different like elements that have been really valuable at that time, pending what was seen as rare or mainly what we place the story around. And from that story, we place the value into an object which then provides a means for exchange and so the hoodie for us like we when you start something um, particularly something in like the non-profit space by the design of it very rarely and like unless you've inherited some wealth from someone or something like very rarely starting with any money so we just had to hustle and get people to give what they already had which was their time and their knowledge and their opportunities and the underpinning design of AIM is like the whole way through has been about mentoring and knowledge exchange and that's like invaluable if you hold on to your IP and you charge someone for a one-on-one $500 coaching session but if you can create an environment where it's just normal for you to share your knowledge and realize that whoever's that coach that's charging for the coaching session has had knowledge passed on to them and that person's had knowledge passed on to them and if you track the threads all the way back there was a time before humans even existed and so nature birthed us and gave us the original knowledge and the original genetic code. So, um, yeah, the thinking is just, we're just like, oh, okay, cool. Well, this can actually stack up. Like we had this hoodie in the middle of this network and kids would unlock it and volunteers would unlock it. And so we sort of dug more and more into what that looked like as a coin and as a currency. And then um, in the last two to three years in parallel to writing this book, we've been designing a new country for the world um, called Imagination as a Digital Network State. And we needed an economy in there and, um, and something to trade as a digital token and something you could unlock. And the hoodie um, became the obvious playground because we already had, you know, 50,000 of these hoodies floating around that different people had connected in and someone can bump into them into someone else in a name hoodie. And more often than not, it's someone from the other side of the tracks, like from the suits to the, the people that might usually be wearing hoodies and provides a thread that can connect people. So I think, yeah, coins and currencies can be anything and I think the latest last sort of 10 years around crypto and, and digital currencies has been attempting to showcase in a modern age what the internet can do um, when you put digital tokens to something and how you can try and subvert cash or, or gold as a, um, a go-to kind of pathway for exchange. Yeah, you say in the book that uh, you want to build an alternative uh, from digital networks to relational networks, not a social network, a new digital country in the in the internet. You even call it imagination. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what you mean by that? We've been building this country to be a relational economy. Um, using the best of the internet, we hope, which is the ability to accelerate an exchange with somebody and make a connection with someone who you wouldn't usually connect with. And I think one of the challenges we've inherited with the networks that we've got is um, it's pretty costs a lot of money to rebuild a road and to rebuild a you know a rail, rail track or to, um, to create a school in a suburb that doesn't exist. But the best of the internet is that you can speed out of wherever you might be if you're built into a pathway which was you know, designed to ostracize you and then over the last 50 to 100 years suddenly the broader shifts have said oh well, we now want you to be a part of this society but you live 
seven hours from all the good all the services or all the opportunities then the internet can connect you not only to that opportunity seven hours away but it can connect you to opportunities in the other end of the earth and that's i think the most exciting part of what the internet can do at scale it can democratize information it can really allow us network um equity and abundance and then so i think to make that as healthy as possible you've got to have place-based activities otherwise you just end up in a dystopian world where you're um you're just stuck in some little room <laughs> seven hours away from everybody and living your whole life through an avatar so what we've built in imagination is a set of accrediting pathways and journeys for individuals to come in and make their relationships and to nature and to each other inside wherever they are in their world or on planet Earth healthier in that location and then use the work that they're doing to then come in and share that knowledge as a reputational credit and currency inside the country. So we've got organisations that are going to be accredited to become joy corporations. We've got schools that are going to be transitioning to be imagination labs for humanity. Uh, we're going to be helping Indigenous thinkers around the world set up their own Indigenous knowledge systems labs to get to the front of the consulting design queue um, we'll be helping change like makers or people that want to create change instead of operating in isolation to take on a systems change framework. So there's all these sort of accreditation journeys for people and then inside the country there'll be a meeting place where we can scale up unlikely connections at speed so we can connect mentors with local high schools that, that want to volunteer mentor and you know something that took us 20 years to be able to get up to six or 7,000 kids. Um, we could then have that happen you know, within a day or two with a really focused um, opportunity, you could have thousands and thousands of kids then connected with um, mentors in their local jurisdiction. We're going to do the same thing with music festivals and very important kind people, which is a kindness economy project we've been working on for the last few years. So it just provides a hub for that accelerated connective tissue. And then underpinning it all is a, is a bunch of work on accreditation and then taking those people working on that accreditation and going, all right, well, where are the systems change projects emerging? And then we'll support those systems change projects at scale. So one of them we're working on is a nature fund out of New York, and another one is reforesting Sydney's coastline or fusing Indigenous systems thinking through it. And then after the systems change projects, we'll go and create tools in the economy that can be shared openly and freely at scale to hopefully solve some of the challenges we're addressing. And one of them we're working on at the moment is a feature film called Imagine with some of the work of Tyson Young Porter and then a bunch of people from around the world have co-written that over the last sort of four or five years. So, yeah, that's that's sort of some of the shapes of what will be happening in Imagination. That comes out in October and we open it up to the world then. Wow. So after the book, uh, even more projects coming up. But uh, one question, one issue you actually touch on, and this uh, in the book was inspired by your witnessing the debate in the US between, uh, well, during the presidential campaign in 2016. And you ask a question, and uh, I'll quote again, I know this isn't a popular idea, but who is going to design the economic transition program for the white dudes who won't get work anymore? Now, this is a question about uh, the current economic system we are in. It's an economic system where actually we've witnessed deindustrialization in the Western world, in the US, in Australia. So who's going to provide the jobs of the future? There's a bunch of questions within that question, within that question. And, you know, I, I think if you, if you just flip a seesaw from one colonial empire, from people who are of a certain skin color, with a certain gender, to then having another ruling class take over, that's not an equitable, healthy societal design. It just ends up with a ruler and winners and losers. And 
I think there can be healthier ways for us to design a share of life um, in how we relate to each other within our schools, within our cities, within our organisations, within our nation states. And currently we have a design which sees very, very small ruling class be the heroes and the dictators of, of what moves and that's then permeated and moved across into social network designs where you have the influencers and you have these hero citizens whose job it is to dictate the knowledge um, instead of finding ways to be really healthily cross-hatched in our local scenarios across families like our Indigenous systems have done so long and ultimately to get away from human-centred knowledge because there's 7 million other species we share the rock with. So I think the answers from white man versus black man or white woman versus black woman or insert any colour of skin that, that, that we are, are born with is the battle isn't with each other. The, and it shouldn't even be a battle. It should be about how we're in relation to the 7 million other species. Our job is to be custodial as a species and we lose our way when we fight each other and fight each other and fight each other. All these animals outside of our our walls are in pain or they're joyful or they're a bunch of other things in between and they're there wanting to teach us and work with us and live with us and and I think that's um that's where a bunch of the the wisdom sits and it's currently not designed in our system and, and I think the second part is I don't know whether we're going to have jobs for everybody I don't know whether with like 40% of jobs being munched up by robots in the next 20 years whether we're going to go to school to get a degree to work Maybe the models are going to be, all right, efficiency crew that have designed these robots, like you're going to have to pay a 5% tax um, wherever you operate and everybody's going to get a universal living wage and that's going to be a base level um, for life and you're going to go to school to learn how to relate to each other and to look after each other and the land around you and to, to build healthier micro-economies and then even for the people like where it gets interesting, I think, with the robots is, you know, and it moves from some idealised state to being like, oh, actually, maybe there is something in it for your Amazon of the world. Is that if you don't have people in employment, then you don't have jobs that then allow people to pay taxes for governments to run and you don't have then money or surplus money that people can then buy stuff. So if... If there's a world where the Amazon of the world still want people to buy stuff, then they're going to have to find a way to stimulate economies to move so people can have money so that whole circle can move. The other alternative is like, well, all right, you built this efficiency and build all these things up and as the cost of living keeps growing, then people start going, well, maybe I don't need another 10 pairs of shoes and maybe we don't need another 10 pairs of shoes. So there's a, I think there is going to be a very, very significant crunchy and we're in the moment of it now a decade of us trying to work out how we redesign um, what value looks like where it should be placed and just to question all of the premises that we've just accepted like do we have to work um, do we live to work is everything that we do about being busy or is it about being in relation with each other should we be working for life um, should we be thinking about ways of exchange where if we can eat and we can sleep and we can have water, and we can have love. What do we need? This is a, a reflection you bring to the forefront, but also another reflection is uh, about uh, the conversations around economics. Uh, well, usually we tend to uh, 
think that established economists are the ones entitled to actually lecture us and uh, provide guidance, but you also want to give voice to the not yet recognized economists. Yeah, well, it's sort of like, it's like saying there can only be, you know, one expert in water or air yeah. um, or touch or smiling or, or sight. Like when we reduce and outsource like the expertise, we start to realise like we're just giving up the thinking and that's one of the big challenges over the last couple of centuries is that we've had people come into different roles and say, well, it's okay, I'll be the expert banker, I'll do this, so I'll be the expert economist, I'll do this. And I know super smart people, like some of the smartest people in the planet are sitting outside the margins who have all the capacity to be able to understand any level of like reasonably basic mathematics which informs a bunch of the systems that we've got. But if it's put up with some woo-woo mystique magic that you're like, oh, you can never understand this. Like Tyson Yonkerboda and I sat in, in this room in New York and looked at the current sustainability index mathematics as to how um, organisations were given their sustainability score. And I'm okay at maths. I'm not a wizard mathematician, but like, I'm okay. And I looked at the maths and Tyson pretty good maths and like, like, what, is that it? Like year nine entry level, like scores out of 10. You dunk, 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 here's your scores out of 10, some arbitrary formula. And then that gives you a score and then that informs like how you trade on sustainability. We've got systems in our patterns, even just the idea of saying, hey, we should have a relationship with nature or an entity from before or an entity afterwards, like, a, you know, that we call in our old people or we think about, you know, our great grandkids and, and how we design some things. That's economic, systemic theory, like in action all the time in all of these systems around the world. It's just been dismissed and... Um, and, you know, by intention, like it was sort of part of the colonial patterns to kind of go out and, and dismiss the intelligence that we had as like not being intelligent, you know, classified as flora and fauna and just like these noble savages and destroying these very old labs. And the beauty and the strength of where we've got to is through unbelievable um, power, perseverance, strength and like unimaginable courage from the generations of the last 200, 300 years who have survived colonial empires and still kept our systems and knowledge threads alive, we still got access to some of the intelligence. And that is an unbelievable gift of fortitude. And many of our Indigenous systems thinkers and thinkers from outside the margins are still having the grace and fortitude to put their hand out and say, hey, we can help after all of this oppression. And I think that's one of the most hopeful, powerful um, stories of human generosity that we've ever seen and one that we're going to have to try and find a way to tap into the knowledge and, and plug it back into the system if we want to have a healthier way of living on this rock. Yeah. Now we can talk about this groundbreaking book for forever, so I won't take much of your time. I know you're very busy. But before I let you go, just a closing word, something uh, we may have covered that will be really, really important for our listeners. I just like want to say thank you to uh, just the most amazing suite of generous thinkers throughout my life that have passed on knowledge openly um, that have shared with me and, and I think that practice of mentoring inside our Indigenous systems in Australia, like there's been lots of like you know, uncles and aunties that have like either let me run off loosely for a decade and go too fast and then after going too fast I've come back and said uh, you went a bit fast and then sometimes when I slowed down said, oh, you're going a bit slow and, you know, the the grace and the patience um, I think is 
is a thing which I'm just like so thankful for, for for that knowledge being passed on. And I don't want this book to be a hero book, like um, in terms of me writing it. I just had lots and lots and lots of people that have passed on knowledge to me, so I just try my best to be an okay journalist and just try and translate some of the knowledge which has been shared with me. So I hope it's a helpful translation, and it's um, yeah, it's a it's knowledge of lots and lots of people from lots and lots of times, which I've just tried to synthesise. And so I hope you enjoy it. Jack Mining Bancroft, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio about your new book, Hoodie Economics. All good, brother. Thank you.